Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Father God, I thank you for everything that you've already done in this service, the way that you've spoke, the way that you've moved, the way that your presence is so apparent to us right now. So as we move into the word, I just ask you for that anointing to continue to rest in this place, for it to rest on me. God, for us to hear what you're saying so clearly, for us to walk into it, for it to take root in our lives, God, for it to produce fruit in the days to come. And God, everything that is of you, let it last. And everything that's just me, God, let it fall away as we continue to lean on you, Jesus. Amen. So we are continuing our series on called that we're calling The Advantage. It's our series on the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit who came to us. Today is our last week in our series, but it's certainly not our last week of partnering with the Holy Spirit. We have been leaning in so that we can learn a little bit more about just what it means to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. John 16 and 7 is where we started everything. It's where Jesus is getting ready to leave. And before he leaves, he tells his disciples, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus, this incredible God who became flesh, came and walked around, and it seemed like the best thing that had ever, ever come to earth. In fact, it was the best thing that had ever come to earth. So much of what the disciples spend time telling people is that Jesus is better than Moses, because up until that point for the Jewish people, Moses had just been the absolute, like, prime leader of all leaders, the person that you wanted. I mean, he went up on the mountain and communed with God and started shining. Moses was the dude. And then Jesus came, and then they said, this guy is even better than Moses. This is awesome. And then before Jesus leaves, he tells them, before I leave, I want you to know that there's somebody coming that it's even more advantageous for you that this person comes, that the Holy Spirit would come to you. And when he, when he refers to him, there are so many names that we call the Holy Spirit, but the one that Jesus uses in this instance is he says, the helper is going to come to you. He says, it's to your advantage that I go so that the helper can come to you. I mean, can you just think about that for a second? Part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity is coming to earth, and Jesus says he is coming to be a helper to you. I don't know how you normally think about helpers, but when I think about helpers, I normally think about helping someone who is greater than me. I think about maybe I can go and be an assistant to someone who I really admire. Maybe there's someone who's done this for a little bit longer than me, and I have the opportunity to come and help them along their way and learn from them. I think of helping in the upward, but what kind of a God is this that we serve that says, when I come, not only am I going to come and I'm going to make my self-flesh and lay across my deity, then when Jesus goes up, he says, I'm going to send the helper down to come to you to help you. 
Every other faith is about getting its followers to lift up the the deity that they're trying to follow, to exalt the, the statue or the false god that they're trying to lift up, to add help to it, to add support to it. But we serve some kind of crazy god that says, when I come down, I come to help you. The helper has come, and it is to your advantage that the helper is coming. And we remember then, of course, that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is coming to convict the world of sin, to let us know, to help us distinguish between right and wrong, to guide us into all truth, to walk us into the place of truth, into a life of truth, to reveal to us and help us distinguish the difference between falseness and truth, to help us distinguish deception from truth, to help us distinguish darkness from light. The Holy Spirit comes to guide us into truth and to glorify Jesus. That the Holy Spirit came, and in all that he's doing, he is leading us to a place of glorifying the one, the true, the only Jesus who died on a cross and rose again. The Holy Spirit says, I am helping you lift up his name, lift up his person, lift up his glory, make him known in all of the earth. The Holy Spirit came to help us glorify Jesus. And then we talked about this fruit that starts growing in our lives. When the Holy Spirit comes, he comes into our lives and he brings with him this fruit that he starts growing in us. These fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control start growing in our life. They start producing in us something that looks not like anything that we've known before. It starts growing in us and producing in us something that distinguishes us from all of the other people we are, and more than that, from the person that we once were, where we can say, I used to be short-tongued. I used to be angry all the time. I used to be downcast. I used to fly off the handle. I used to be bitter, but now I have this fruit growing in my life. The people of God ought to be the most joy-filled people that have ever existed. The people of God ought to be filled with laughter, ought to be filled with fun, ought to be filled with frivolity and jokes and joy and full tables that sit around and tell the stories of the goodness of our God. The fruit came in our lives to help us walk and live and look a little bit more like Jesus in our here and in our now. He gave us this fruit in our lives to produce in us lives that look like Jesus. And then he came bringing gifts. He came bringing gifts of the Spirit to empower us. We called them tools for the job. He gave us these gifts so that we could demonstrate and manifest the power of who Jesus is to glorify who he is through the manifestation of who he is in our everyday life. And these are gifts that are available to every single believer, and we ought to desire them earnestly. We ought to covet them. We ought to seek after them. These aren't the kind of gifts that you just kind of want to leave. Hey, you know, some families, families have kind of like different cultures around how they do gifts, 
right? Like some families are those kind of families where like you do not tell anybody the gift that you want. You just kind of sit back and hold on to it and don't talk about it and just like pray that by mind reading someone has picked up on the kind of gift that you hopefully are getting from for your birthday. And then there's families where like you should leave little like clues around that that's what's expected, that you know your birthday's coming so you should leave like a magazine open to a page and this is a gift that I might like to get someday. And then there are other families where like little hints, that's what you should do, or list. There are list families, right? Where they're like, look, we all know your birthday is coming up, and so please just write down the five things that you would like to see for your birthday gifts. Now, I always struggled with that because I feel like the gift is kind of like, I feel like you should have to work for it a little bit to figure out what you should be buying for me for my birthday. I feel like, but that's those families' culture right? And we develop these thoughts and these things around how we want to receive gifts and how we should tell other people about gifts. God does even the reverse of that. He says, I have given you a list of all of the great gifts. You don't have to guess what's coming your way. You don't have to wonder about what's available to you. You don't have to worry about if I have enough of it or if there's too much of it or if there's going to be all used up. I have a bucket load of gifts for you and I'm going to list them all out for you and then I'm going to to tell you. You don't have to worry about, oh, am I going too far to tell God that I would really, I think it'd be really cool if I could experience that gift, God. God says, no, I'm going to tell you in my word, I want you to earnestly desire every single gift that is available to you. If there is a gift in heaven that I have made available to my people through the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to earnestly desire it. Come on, church, we need to be a church that earnestly seeks after the manifestation of his presence, that isn't satisfied to just experience one of the gifts, that isn't satisfied to just walk in a couple of them, that's not satisfied to just say, well, I guess this one works, and for some reason that one doesn't work in my life. Earnestly desire it. Pray, seek, find those who experience that gift and learn about it and say, what is happening in your life? I want some of that. We should earnestly desire every single one of the gifts because we talked about how there is diversity in the gifts, but there is unity in Christ. He sent us diverse gifts. He sent us diverse and he sent us gifts in all kinds of diverse ways, in all kinds of diverse areas so that he could make us stronger in our unity together, so that he could strengthen us as his body, so that he could strengthen us as the people of God. The Holy Spirit came to us and he grew fruit in us and he brought gifts for us and all of these are the power of the Holy Spirit. It is power for salvation, power for living, and power for demonstrating who he is. He came bringing an incredible power straight from heaven. Acts 1 and 8 said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness to Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is a God-given power. It is an explosive power. It is a power that comes on you and moves outward. It moves into the people around us. It demonstrates. It's got a quake with it. It's got a sound with it. It's got a heat with it. There is something 
powerful that comes when the Holy Spirit comes and God intends for his people to be people of power, people who experience power that comes straight from heaven, people who carry power that comes straight from heaven, not people who tap into it every now and then, but who say the power has come on me and I am now a carrier of this incredible power, this power that created the heavens and the earth and this power that rose Jesus from the dead now rests in me and now resides in me. And everywhere I go, there is a power for salvation. There is a power for right living. There is a power for demonstrating the incredible God that I serve. There is a power for you to experience him. There is a power for lives to be turned around. There is a power for bodies to be healed. There is a power for righteousness. There is a power for right living. There is a power for holding up my sanctification. There is a power for goodness to come into my life. There is a power for joy to overflow in me. There is a power for a word that will sustain you. There is a power for discerning spirits. There is a power for me to understand what's being said in heaven. There is a power for me to pray in a heavenly language that partners my words with heaven's word. There is a power for the people of God. But too often, misuse has led us to a place of abdicating the places that God always intended for us to stand. Because this is a thing God has been showing me over and over in our lives in different areas, because something becomes misused, instead of learning proper use for that thing, we just abdicate use of it altogether. We just step back from it and say, that didn't work out how I thought it was going to work out. Or I didn't like the way that I saw that thing played out. Or I didn't like the way that situation ended. And so instead of leaning into it in a new way and finding out how do I use it properly, I just back up altogether and I abdicate my space. It's like a kid who grows up in a home where, where their parents are fighting all of the time and they haven't learned how to fight right. There's a way that you can fight in your marriage that leads to strength, that leads to health. You need some ground rules for the way that you fight, but there is a right way to fight in your relationship that leads it to have a better strength and a better clarity and a better all-around experience for you and your spouse and for the children that you're raising. But if you don't learn how to fight right and you don't have any ground rules and you're throwing out all kinds of accusations at each other and you're fighting against each other instead of for each other, then all of a sudden that creates a toxic environment in your family and a child who grows up in that household and then sees it lead to the divorce of their parents might abdicate that space and say, I'm never getting married. I'm never doing that right there. I'm never putting myself in a position to experience that. And instead of learning to use the space properly, they back out and they abdicate it all together. I wonder what things in your life you have seen misused. And because you saw those things misused, instead of engaging and saying, I'm going to learn the proper use of this thing, I'm going to learn the proper use of this space, and instead of leaning into it and saying something went wrong, which leads me to believe that there are other things that I need to know, we just abdicate it all together and step out of that space. And in doing so, we lose places that God intended his people to be part of. In doing so, we lose places of influence. We lose places 
places of decision making. We lose places that God intended to be a blessing in our life, to be a learning space in our life. We lose places that God always intended his people to be part of. What place in your life did you see misused and instead of learning how to use it properly, you just abdicated it all together? God intended for people to be married and enjoy it at the same time right that there is an intention in that that God has a proper use for it I'm so sorry if you didn't see it used properly I'm so sorry if you saw it abused I'm so sorry if you saw people who didn't know what to do with the thing that they were given but there is an enjoyment that God always intended to be part of that space as well I want you to look back this week if you're taking notes write down this is your homework for the week that I want you to look back at your life and say what places were misused in my life or did I see misused that I have abdicated that God intended for me to be there and enjoy it and experience it and walk in the fullness of that place and is kind of a funny word it adds a lot to what's happening around it. When you see and, it means that whatever came before it and whatever is coming after it were incomplete, were not fulfilled without that and, without that addition to what was happening in that space, that this might be true a little bit, but it's not all the way true until I can get an and with it. A second half of what is going on, that God intended you to be married and enjoy it he said when the Holy Spirit comes on you you will receive power and be my witness throughout all Judea throughout Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth whenever you see and you know that there is more you know that there is more coming on the other side of that and love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. It's not complete without both sides of the statement. We declare Jesus everywhere and lead believers in a life of resilient faith. One side of the statement is not complete without the other side of the statement. Come on, the Holy Spirit came upon you to receive power and be my witness. When the power came, the power came with a purpose. The power came for an intention. The power came to make us witnesses into all of the earth. The power didn't come just so we can have fun in our Christian circles. The power didn't come just to be a cool party trick for you to do. The power didn't come just so we can say that we are charismatic people. The power came so that we could be witnesses into all of the earth witnesses one who has seen and then tells one who has seen of his goodness one who has seen of what God can do one who has seen who Jesus is and tells of it 
as well. Have you seen of it and have you told of it? Have you experienced who he is and have you told what you have experienced? It's why our testimonies are so important. It's why the videos that we share are so important. It's why I want you to mail us and email us and DM us and tell somebody what God does in your life because there is something about when we see and when we tell of what God does. Our boys, Phil and my's boys, have entered the tattletale stage of childhood. It just came on us. Like about two weeks ago, it's like, boom, it just came in like a mighty rushing wind of a different kind entirely. <clears throat> so they love to come and tattle on each other. It's their newest thing, right? And particularly when they tattle. So they have, they picked up this thing. So I was raised in a, you know, in a good Christian home, which means I was not allowed to watch the Smurfs and I was not allowed to say, oh my, I can't even say it now. I'm a grown woman. Because even though that is not technically what scripture is referring to when it talks about taking the Lord's name in vain, we do not casually use the Lord's name. So that phrase was not by any means permitted in my household growing up. So I adapted using the phrase, oh my gosh, which I use to this day still. It was an acceptable replacement in my household in my kind of teen years. Even to this day, if I'm texting you and I'm trying to say OMG, I will type OM gosh. Just so you do not confuse by any means that I am casually using the Lord's name even in a text correspondence because I do not use that phrase. However, my five-year-old and my two-year-old have now picked up a phrase that they hear their mother saying often, which is, oh my gosh. And a five-year-old and a two-year-old saying, oh my gosh, has a little bit of a different tone to it and a little bit of a different, to be honest, I actually don't mind it that much, but because Phil and I are playing team parenting, we are on the same side. And Phil said, it's no good. And so then I got on board with it's no good. So we are cracking down on our little boys. I am so sorry if your kids come home from class and they're saying, oh my gosh, they 100% got it from my boys. And I want you to know we're working on it, okay? I'm so sorry. So we are working on it. And they now know they are not supposed to say this phrase. They now know it is taboo in our household that they are supposed to be. So don't you know they will come, I mean, running from far and wide to let me know, mommy, 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 mommy. Theo said, oh my gosh. Did he? That's fascinating. Three minutes later, run, run, run. Mama, 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 mama. Lincoln said, oh my gosh, I'm just grateful that Winston can't like actually speak yet because I know he would be in on it as well. But you know something that I've noticed about their tattling? They have never run from far and wide to let me know how helpful their sibling has been. They have never run from far and wide to let me know how their sibling followed the rules that have been laid out in our household, how they put away their toy helpfully, how they went and threw away their own. My children have never, ever, up to this point, 
come to let me know, to tattle on how great their siblings are. What is it about our nature that we are just more eager to share the negative things that are happening in our life than we are to share about the good things that are happening? We are the same as my two and my five-year-old. We call somebody up and you're like, did you hear what's going on with da-da-da-da-da? I don't know, I'm really concerned about what's going on at my job. I'm just not sure. They're making all kinds of, and we just want to tattle on all of the negative things. That is not the kind of witness. We are witnesses of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be running as fast as we can to say, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you about Jesus who saved my soul, who walks with me. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I gotta tell you how I woke up with a song in my heart today. Wait, 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 wait. I need you to know that everything looked like it was falling around me, but there's a God who was faithful to me. There's a God who still walks with me. We are witnesses everywhere that we go of the goodness of who God is. This word witness, it's used all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the New Testament. It has legal ramifications and domestic ramifications, and it simply means those who have seen and tell. Those who have seen it and those who tell about it, they become a witness. Now, there's one more use in the Old Testament that it gets used for as well. There are a couple of instances throughout the Old Testament where people erect these altars or they erect, they'll stack some stones together. And it says that these stones are meant to be a remembrance of a covenant that's made between two parties. So when these two parties come together and they make a covenant, a covenant is a bond of unity that can't be broken, that can't be undone no matter what comes, then they stack these stones together and then they say these stones this altar right here is going to be a reminder of the covenant that we have made together of this unbreakable bond that we have together and the word they use for that is a witness that this is going to be a witness between you and me of this unbreakable covenant that we have. By the time we get to the New Testament, Jesus says, you will be my witness. You will be my reminder everywhere that you go. You are the visible demonstration of the unbreakable covenant that I have made between you and between me. The unbreakable covenant that has been made between heaven and earth through Christ Jesus. You are those stones that have been stacked up as a testimony everywhere you go. You are his visible demonstration. You are the witness of his covenant that every single place that you go, when people see you, it should be a reminder to them of what God has done. When people see you, when you walk into your family reunion, it should be a visible reminder of the covenant of Jesus Christ. It should be a visible reminder of the unbreakable bond that he has made with you and that is available to them. You will be our, his witness in all of the earth. He has made you an altar. He has made you a living sacrifice. He has made you a living testimony. Every Every single place that you go, you are that witness. And it says that he will make you his witness, his sign, his visible demonstration in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem speaks to us of the people we are with right now. 
When the power came on them, they walked out and immediately began declaring to Jerusalem, to the people they were with immediately. Judea speaks to us of the people who have rejected us. If you remember, Judea rejected the ministry of Jesus, and he's telling them right from the beginning, I don't want you to ignore that. How easy is it for us to say, you know what, they already rejected me, so I'm just going to turn this way, and I'm going to put my sights on something else. I'm going to put my sights on something that feels a little bit easier to deal with. I'm going to put my sights on somewhere where they hug me, on somewhere where they praise me, on somewhere where I know that they're welcoming me with arms wide open. And Jesus tells them, I want you to go back to the place we were rejected. I want you to go back to the family that cast you out. I want you to go back to the job where you felt like they told you to be quiet. I want you to go back to the places you have been rejected from and be my witness. It's why that fruit better be so deep in your life. It's by why, why that praying in the Holy Spirit, while that discerning of spirits better be so heavy in your life. Because when you walk into a place that's rejected, all of this on the outside might make me feel unloved, might make me feel uncared for, might make me feel unwanted, might make me feel heavy. But if I'm carrying inside of me a love that comes straight from heaven a joy that comes straight from heaven a confidence that comes straight from heaven I can walk into the place that I was rejected and say I will still be his witness in this place then he tells them to go into Samaria Samaria is the place of the people you don't understand the people who don't live like you, the people whose decisions you don't really understand why they do the things that they do, the people who don't look or sound or walk or talk like you, the people who probably you have some judgment calls that you'd like to make about from the outside, he says, I want you to go into that place as well. The Samaritans were culturally different from the Jews. And he said, don't forget about them. When you leave here, I want you to go to the people that are right in front of you. I want you to go to the people that have rejected you. I want you to go to the people that make you uncomfortable as well. I want you to go to the people that you don't understand as well. And I want you to be my witness in that space. And then he tells them the ends of the earth. Everywhere. I want you to be my witness everywhere anywhere that you can get into, everywhere that you have a space to walk into, every place that I take you into, every place that is possibly open to you, be my witness absolutely everywhere. Remember that word and that we talked about? This seems minor, but it's an important distinction. It does not say then. It does not say I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. It says, and, and, and. All of these things are happening. This is why this is important. Because sometimes we let ourselves off the hook because we're like, I haven't really ministered to my neighborhood yet. So until my neighbors are really like, until I get all of my neighbors to come to church, then I'm just going to really pour into this space. And that's why I don't have to worry about my office. And that's why I don't have to worry about global missions, because that would be my Samaria. But I'm still really working on my Jerusalem. No, God said, all of these things are happening. Yo, I have grown up in church. I have heard, don't look at me like you've never heard it before. I know exactly what is going on in your hearts and minds and the conversations that we have to 
abdicate a space because we have seen it used improperly. And all of the excuses that we tie into why we can't do it in another space because we saw someone else do it poorly in that space. And we saw someone else not walk into that space as tactfully as we wish they would have. Or we saw someone else figuring it out. And so we say, I don't want to be like that. So I'm just going to abdicate it. And I'm going to use a reason why I can be smaller in my space. He said, I have given you power to be my witness everywhere. Everywhere that I take you, you're to be my witness. Everywhere that I take you, I know that they have restrictions and I know that they have HR policies and I know that there are government regulations, but you have the spirit of the living God on the inside of you. So look for the moment, be seeking the whole, be seeking that conversation that opens up, be figuring out how to walk someone into a question so that they bring it up instead of you bringing it up, which gives you the opening to have the conversation. The spirit of the living God will walk with you. He guides you into all truth. There is a purpose for this power. The Holy Spirit is the advantage for the advancement of the kingdom. The purpose that he came for is to advance the kingdom, to establish the church, to lift up the name of Jesus and see all men drawn unto us. He is designed to reveal the glory of Jesus. He has spoken to us so that the name would be lifted up to see people healed, to see people become witnesses in all the earth, to see the prophetic word come forth, to see joy bubbling up on the inside of his people. There are diverse gifts for diverse people, for unity in the body. There is a purpose for this power and it is the advancement of the kingdom. Our prayer for today is a prayer for boldness. What good is the advantage if we leave it unused? What good are the gifts if we don't demonstrate them? What good is the fruit if they're not evident in our lives? What good is it if we are witnesses who are silent, who never speak out the goodness of our God? A prayer today is a prayer for boldness. If you read throughout the book of Acts, it's clear that when the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit brought boldness that the power came and a boldness came along with it. The first thing they do, Peter steps out of the upper room and begins preaching the message of Jesus Christ right there in the streets. The very next thing is we see Peter and John walking and they reach out to a lame man who's begging and they declare to him that he can be healed and the man starts walking right where he is. There is boldness. <clears throat> the word bold or boldness or derivatives of it is mentioned some like 40 times throughout the book of Acts. There is a boldness that comes for the people of God, a confidence, a desire to go after this thing that God has called us to, that shakes off timidity, that shakes off a waveringness, that shakes off second guessing of ourselves and says, I will confidently walk in the way that God has directed me because I have the Holy Spirit with power on the inside of me. Our prayer today is a prayer for boldness. By the time we get to Acts 4, Peter and John have healed this 
uh, this man who was crippled from birth. They heal him. It tells us he was 40 years old, and other people start catching on to what happens, and they walk into Acts 4, and you would think that everyone in town is thrilled to find out that this man who has been crippled all of his life is finally healed, but that's not what happens. It turns out there are some people that are very upset about it. They're not so much upset about the fact that the man was healed, but they're upset about the fact that because the man is healed, it shows that Jesus is, in fact, who he said that he was, that that healing became a witness, became a demonstration of the power of glorifying who Jesus was. And because they're so upset about it, they arrest Peter and John. And they go in and they are arrested. And then they go in and as they're being arrested, they're questioned and they're threatened and they're asking them all of these things and they're trying to press in on them. They're trying to get them to back down. They're trying to cause them to be timid. They're trying to silence their witness in the midst of this place. But still, there is a boldness on the inside of them. When they're threatened on every side by the leaders and the authorities in their circle, they respond basically We're not going to do that. We are going to keep declaring who Jesus is. And you know Peter. Peter has to throw like a couple digs in there as well. Like he can't just be cool and bold. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be bold. Also, I'm talking about Jesus who you crucified. Remember, you thought he was dead, but he rose again. That same Jesus. Like Peter always has to throw in a little, you know, that's why you kind of like him. You want a friend like Peter, right? And they maintain their boldness while they're being arrested, while they're being intimidated by the powers that be, while they're being asked to back down off of their message, there still is a steady confidence on the inside of them. And then finally, they're released. When you get to Acts 4 and 23, 4 and 23, I'm just going to read this part to you. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. This part makes sense to me. When they were released, they came to their friends and they told them what was going on. And when they heard it, they all lifted their voices together with God and said, sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. And this part makes sense to me. All of the people that they're now telling about what God has done in their life begin lifting up the name of God. They begin rejoicing. They begin celebrating the fact that Peter and John have been returned to them, that they didn't lose their witness, that they weren't backed down, and that they weren't held up any longer, but that they were released. This part all makes sense to me. I'm going to skip a couple verses. They start quoting Old Testament scripture as they're praying and glorifying God, and then they begin praying. And in verse 29, this is the part I want you to see. We're jumping in. In the middle of their prayer, it says, and now, this is them praying, and now, Lord, look upon their threats, their threats being the powers that be, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. I'm sorry, what? I'd like you to look upon their threats and grant us relief. I'd like you to look upon their threats and grant me safety. I'd like you to look upon their threats and tell them how wrong they are. I'd like you to look upon their threats and give me favor. I'd like you to look upon their threats, God, and release me from them. I'd like you to look upon their threats and tell me it's all going to go away. I'd like you to look upon their threats and strike them all with like not a dead disease, but you know, kind of like an immobilizing disease so they don't come after me anymore. 
No, they say, look upon their threats and grant your servants that we would continue to speak your word with all boldness. And while you stretch out your hand to heal and the signs and the wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had played, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Our prayer today is a prayer for boldness that come what may, that face what you might this week, that speak to who you might this week, that a boldness would rise in you, that we wouldn't be people that say, God, release the pressure from our lives. God, lift us from every burden, but that we say, God, give us what we need to carry the burden. Give us what we need to stand up under the weight of it. Give us what we need to not be those who back down. Give us a boldness that comes only by the power of the Holy Spirit, that this would be a house of boldness, that we would declare Jesus everywhere, that we would lead believers in a life of resilient faith, a faith that doesn't waver, a faith that isn't uncertain, a faith that doesn't back down, a faith that can't be shattered, a faith that doesn't snap like this rope, but a faith that continues to stand, a faith that's filled with boldness that says, I've come to this place and I know too much and I've seen too much and God, you've moved in my life too much, God. Give me boldness to declare that thing. Give me boldness to be your witness. If there are any people in this room who want a fresh boldness straight from heaven, lift your hands where you are right now. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you came to us. We thank you that you give us the advantage. We thank you for what kind of God you are, that you would come and be our helper, God. And we ask for boldness. Fill us right now. Fill us right now. Fill us right now, God, with a boldness to proclaim who you are. Everywhere that we go, we speak against timidity. I cast down right now that spirit of fear, that spirit of uncertainty, that spirit of second guessing, that spirit of what if. I declare right now against the Goliath spirit that tries to intimidate the people of God and say what you can do and how far you can go. He is just a facade. He is just pretending. It only takes a stone to take him down from a bold people who will stand up in the power of the living God. God, we ask for boldness in this place. Thank you for pouring it out on every person in this room, on this stream, listening to this message. God, we ask for boldness. Right where we are, in places we've been rejected and hurt, in places we don't understand, God, absolutely everywhere that you take us, Give us a fresh boldness. In the name of Jesus. Amen. This is the thing. As you walk out your boldness this week, I want you to walk in confidence. I want you to walk in power, not of your own strength, but that you have the advantage that he will not fail you, and that what we have is too good to hold on to. You are a living testimony, amen? Tell somebody next to you, I am a living testimony. 
Church, everywhere you go this week, continue to declare his name, to continue to lift him up, continue to worship him. He is a living God. We can't wait to connect with you. If you're a man, get signed up for Resilient Men's Conference. There is a boldness that comes when the men of God get together. And I'm believing for it for this week. We'll talk to you real soon. See you there. Be blessed, church.